I'm so excited to be continuing this series that we've started um, on Jacob as we kind of walk through his life and we see that he was a man that was transformed by grace. And you know, I think uh, Pastor Sean has done just such an incredible job of really like setting the stage and laying a foundation of the history and the background of Jacob's life, uh, starting with his origin story and then on to some of the events that happened early on in his life. And so if you missed any of the the last couple of messages, I just want to encourage you to check them out on our YouTube channel. Um, You can also find them in the Church Center app and and just watch those messages and get caught up because I know that the Lord wants to speak to you through his word. Amen? Amen. Well, today we are going to look at the next part of Jacob's story, and I'm just going to title this message, The Drama, okay? Like, oh, the drama that Jacob gets himself into. Um, As I was reading and as I was just preparing for the message, I called Sean and I said, man, this guy's life is like a soap opera. I mean, I mean, this family could fit right in with Jerry Springer, okay? Or, or even better, I was thinking like Maury Povich. Like, can you imagine it? It was like, Jacob, you are the father, right? Like, that's what, uh, the story is like so wild. It's got all the elements of a reality show. And um, I was thinking it could maybe be titled like The Real Housewives of Jacob. Okay, like it's right there in the book of Genesis. And, and you know, it's crazy, but sometimes people, they try to tell me like, oh, the Bible is just boring, Krista. Like the Bible's boring. And honestly, if you tell me the Bible is boring, that is a dead giveaway. You're, you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're giving yourself away that you have never actually read it. Okay, because this book is crazy. And then it's got all the drama and it's got all the good stuff in it. And so this morning, let's just pray before we dive into the word and, and just ask the Lord to, to guide our hearts and our minds and to receive what he has for us today. Dear Lord, we just, we thank you, Lord, that your presence is already here in our midst. God, we just ask that you would transform us through your word today. God, I I ask that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, and, and give us a heart to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, As most of you probably know, um, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? So I grew up in the church and, and I don't mean that I grew up going to church. I actually mean I grew up in the church, right? Like from the time I was a little baby, my mom would put me in the carrier and she would set me down right beside the piano while she led worship, okay? And then I would take my naps underneath the pews while my dad preached. Now, if you've ever heard my dad preach, you know I must have been a pretty heavy sleeper, right? Okay, like yeah, that was a difficult thing to do. You know, we, we lived at the church. We were there Sunday morning. We were there Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival services, prayer meetings, worship practice, and board meetings. Board meetings. You know, when I was little, I actually um, would ask my parents, you know, hey, is it time to go? When are we going to go? And they would say, oh, just a few more minutes, To which I would respond, uh, are these board meeting minutes? 
or regular minutes, because there's a difference. Like board meeting minutes just stretched on forever and ever and ever, right? So, so I could quote all the Bible verses and I could sing all of the songs, but to be honest, there were times in my life where I just kind of went through the motions, right? I just went through the motions. I was playing church, playing the game. I hadn't yet had a genuine and a personal encounter with the presence of God. And I would argue that up until this point in Jacob's life, that he would fall into that same category, You know, Jacob had probably heard all of the stories. He had heard about the faithfulness of God. He had heard about the goodness of God. He he may have heard about the promises that God had given to his family. But up until this point, these were just stories that he had been told. And they had not become his story. Until one day when Jacob has an encounter with the presence of the Lord and the God of Abraham... And the God of Isaac becomes the God of Jacob as well. It's on this day where religion turned into relationship. So if you have your Bibles, I'll have you turn to Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 10. I'm going to just give you a little warning here. We are going to read a lot of scripture today, okay? So just bear with me. Don't tune out when we read these scriptures. I Sure, I could have like just kind of given you a synopsis of the story, but I believe that the word of God is powerful. And I want you to hear it today and I want you to receive it today. So, so focus in and bear with me as we read a lot of scripture today. So this first part, we're gonna read um, starting at verse 10. You can follow along on the screens as well. So Give you a little backstory. Last week, we kind of left off with Jacob having stolen Esau's birthright, and then Esau was threatening to kill him, okay? And so so we're going to pick up right where Rebecca sends Jacob away to, to kind of hide away from Esau, and, and she sends him away to find a wife from her hometown. So let's start right here in verse 10 and read it together. It says this, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac, and the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, and to the north and the south, and all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants." What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. The first thing I want you to notice this morning in your notes is the presence the presence. You know, that last verse that we just read said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Wow. 
What a statement, right? What what a terrible reality to think about the fact that it is possible for you and I to walk through this life in a world that is surrounded by the presence of God. And yet, just like Jacob, we don't see him. We don't know him. We don't recognize him. Our eyes are so distracted and our heart is so divided that he can be right here in the room with us. And yet... We miss him. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I do want you to think and ponder this question in your heart this morning. Let it sink in. How many times do I miss God? Think about that. How many times do I miss God? It can happen even in church. We can sing the songs and go through the motions. We can know when we're supposed to stand and when we're supposed to kneel and how to raise our hands just right. And yet, in our hearts, we can completely miss him. The second thing I want you to notice is the pillar. The pillar. So we're going to continue reading um, Genesis 28. We're going to read verses 17 through 22. It says this, but he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil all over it and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. You see, when Jacob encountered the presence of God, he responded. He responded, and his response was something that I believe we should follow suit. Here's what Jacob does. He, he sets up a pillar as a reminder of what God had done, as a reminder of what had happened and what God had promised him. But here's the thing. He, he then, he takes the promises that God has just given him, and he allows those promises to change the way he walks. He allows those promises to transform the way he lives. And, and this is, I believe, what God wants from each of us. God's, here's the thing. God's promises are not just supposed to be like our little pets that we just hold and we just, you know, we're just, oh, this is so nice. Thank you, Lord, for this little promise. I just love it. Oh, it's so cute. No, the promises of God are powerful, The promises of God are transformative and they should change the way we walk and the way we live on a daily basis. You see, God's promises should become our pathways. I'm going to say that again. God's promises should become our pathways. They should guide us. They should direct us in our life. You know, Jacob set up a pillar so that when things got tough, And so that when the promises began to fade or or feel like they would just never come to pass, he could look back on that pillar and he could remember the encounter that he had. He could look back and he could remember and he could encourage himself in the Lord to keep walking, to keep trusting, to keep believing. 
You know, I love the fact that he knew he needed like a tangible reminder of this spiritual encounter. And I know some of us may look at Jacob and be like, bro, really? Like, you think you're going to (laughs) forget an experience like that? Like a stairway in the sky with angels and God speaking from the heavens. You're going to forget an experience like that? And yet, how many times do we forget when God has stepped in and transformed our lives? How many times do we forget the promise that God has spoken over our hearts? Some of you need to set up a pillar today. You need to set up a pillar, a reminder of God's promise to you that you can hold on to in the times where it feels like the promise will never come. The third thing I want us to notice today is the providence. The providence. Let's read Genesis 29. We're going to read verse 1 all the way through 14. Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well, Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flock now. And so Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you just water the sheep and goats so they can get back out to pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. The the shepherds move the stone from the mouth of the well, and we water all the sheep and goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud and he explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. And as soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. Then Jacob had told him, when Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, you really are my own flesh and blood. In these verses, we see Jacob's arrival at Haran. And isn't it amazing that at just the right time, in just the right place, from just the right family, Rachel appears. Right? I mean, imagine it. It's kind of like a scene from a movie. I can kind of hear the music, like everything lines up, everything is just perfect, and in she walks. But here's the deal this wasn't a coincidence, it wasn't fate, it wasn't serendipity. No, this was the divine providence of God at work in the life of Jacob. Despite Jacob's deceptions, 
Despite Jacob's shortcomings, God had promised to carry on this covenant through him. And in these verses, we see that God is watching over Jacob and guiding his every step, directing his every path. You know, the funny thing is, is that when we read those verses, God isn't even directly mentioned anywhere in those scriptures, right? Like, like it doesn't say like God sent Jacob here or God sent Rachel here. No, we, we don't see mention of God's name. And yet we see him at work throughout the entire story. I would say to you today that God's divine providence is also at work in your life. Even at times when you don't see him, when you don't notice him, when you don't recognize him by name, he is working. Ask yourself this question today. Just think about it. Ponder it. How have I seen God guide and direct and confirm my steps as I follow him? Think about that for a moment. How many times have you seen God and his providence at work in your life? You know, it's not that God isn't moving. It's not that he isn't working. It's just that sometimes we don't take the time to look for him. We don't take the time to acknowledge where we are today and what he has done in order to get us there. It's his plan. It's his providence. The fourth thing I want us to notice this morning is the process, the process. So let's continue reading Genesis 29, starting in verse 15. It says, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Oh, how romantic, right? So sweet. Well, finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. And Laban had given Leah a servant Zilpah to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. Man, he loved him some Rachel, right? Uh, Agreed to work seven more years. And a week after Jacob married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. And Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. And then he stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. So here's what I see in these verses. What I see is that 
The promise didn't come immediately. Right? Like there was a process that Jacob had to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob had this great encounter with God and, and God spoke this great promise to him, but, but there was still a lot of growth. (laughs) There was still a lot of character building that needed to happen in Jacob's life. You know, if God would have just dumped the promise in his lap, he probably would not have been ready for it. Okay. He couldn't have handled it at that time. And, and the same is true for us. Oftentimes when God gives us a promise, he also takes us through a process in order to get there. Right? John 15, 2 says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they can produce even more. There is a pruning process that God takes us through in order to get us ready and to equip us for the promise that he has. So let's just take a look at these scriptures and see what it was that God used to equip Jacob and and what he'll probably use to equip us as well. The first thing I see is that he equips us through serving. He equips us through serving. You see, Jacob had to learn humility through serving. Up until this point, we kind of see that Jacob just took whatever he wanted. He schemed, he tricked, he manipulated, he just took it. He didn't work for it. He tricked people into it, right? And, and as a son of a large estate owner, he probably had not done a ton of manual labor. He actually typically would have had people who worked for him. And so he was used to being served, but he probably didn't know a lot about serving others. His life was about himself and and God knew that he had to change that in Jacob in order for him to be prepared for the promise. You know, servanthood is an important lesson that we see God use and instill in many leaders all throughout the Bible. Think about Moses. He served uh, sheep for 40 years. Think about Joseph, who was a servant and a prisoner for 13 years, or, or the great King David. He started off as just a little shepherd over a small flock of sheep. Even Jesus, when he came to earth, scripture says he came to serve and not to be served. Right? Some great examples of this process of, of equipping us through serving. You know, the same way that God was equipping Jacob through serving, he may be equipping you today. It might be stacking chairs. It might be doing paperwork or, or just being hidden from the spotlight in some behind the scenes role that nobody really seems to notice. And sometimes we can... I'll be honest, I'm the same. Sometimes we can kind of struggle with the humble and the lowly places and the positions that we find ourselves in, right? We're like, really, Lord? Like, you want me way back there at the back of the line? But let me encourage you today. Those humble places, those lowly positions, those places are great preparation for the promise, They're great preparation for the promise because when we are faithful with little, God will make us faithful with much. It's all a part of the process. Another way that I see God equips Jacob is through difficult relationships. 
Anybody ever had a difficult relationship, right? Like you can see all throughout scripture that God often uses difficult people and difficult relationships to prune us and to develop us. Uh, Think of David and all the years he spent in service to the crazy king Saul, who was jealous and even tried to kill him. I mean, I mean, he like he threw spears at him and all kinds of crazy stuff. I would say that's a pretty difficult relationship to be in, right? And sometimes God will use people and he will use relationships like sandpaper in our lives, right? And it just kind of helps smooth out the rough edges of our hearts and of our lives and our actions. You know, this process is not always fun. In fact, it's usually never fun, but it is effective. So for Jacob, this difficult relationship was his father-in-law Laban. And and for you, it might be um, a parent or a spouse or a sibling or or a boss or a coworker. I don't know what the relationship is, but, but this is what I'll tell you this morning. Whoever it is, we need to recognize the benefit that they bring to our lives. That's not easy to do, right? When we have difficult people in our lives, all we see is the negative, all we see is the bad, but I wanna encourage you to recognize the benefit that they bring. You see, even the weeds have purpose in God's kingdom. Even the weeds have purpose in God's kingdom. God uses them to cultivate the character of the wheat. In your notes this morning, character isn't developed in the good times, but it's birthed through the struggle. Character isn't developed when everything's going great and all things are good. No, character is birthed through struggle. The last way that I see God is equipping Jacob here is through the consequences of sin. Through the consequences of sin. You know, you can't read these scriptures and not see this universal principle just jumping right out of the page. It's like neon lights, a sign that's saying this principle, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, right? Jacob, the deceiver, he got deceived. Like Jacob got Jacob, duh. Okay, like, like it's crazy, but it seems like he has met his match in Laban, Clearly, scripture tells us in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool for a person will reap what he sows. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive us when we sin, okay? That, that's absolutely not true. He does forgive us. But the forgiveness does not mean that there will not be some earthly consequences to that sin and to those decisions, But here's the redeeming part in all of this. This is where the gospel shines through. You see, God will use those consequences to mold us and prune us and shape us into who he has called us to be. With God, nothing is wasted. So even our bad decisions, God will take them, he will turn them, he will use them to prune us and to prepare us. It's all part of his process to prepare us for the last thing I want us to notice in your notes, number five, the beginnings of the promise. The beginnings of the promise. Um, Let's read Genesis 29, and this is going to be a lot, so focus in. We're going to go all the way to chapter 30, verse 24. It says this. 
When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son, and she named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister, and she pleaded with Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God, he asked? He's the one who has kept you from having children. And Jacob told him, take my maid Bilhah and sleep with her. She will bear children for me and through her I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as a wife and he slept with her. And Bilhah became pregnant and presented him with a son. And Rachel named him Dan for she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Then Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. And Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister and I'm winning. Meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. So she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Soon Zilpah, right? I'm telling you, it's crazy, right? So proper. Soon Zilpah presented him with a son and Leah named him Gad. And she said, how fortunate I am. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son and Leah named him Asher. For she said, what joy is mine. Now the other women will celebrate with me. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in a field. The story just gets crazier and crazier. Brought and brought them to his mother Leah. Rachel begged Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now you will steal my son's mandrakes too? Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. Okay, Real Housewives of Jacob is like alive and well in scripture this morning, okay? So, so that evening, as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him and she said, you must come home and sleep with me tonight. She said, I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found. So that night he slept with Leah and God answered Leah's prayers and she became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. She named him Issachar for she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. Then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. She named him Zebulun and she said, God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect. I have given him six sons. And later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph. For she said, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. Through all the crazy, through all the soap opera, what we see here is the beginnings of the promise being realized. Even through the mess of human brokenness, even through all this messy 
crazy soap opera stuff. I mean, this story brings family dysfunction to a whole nother level, right? But still, we see that God is working even in the midst of the mess. God, you see the beginnings of this promise being realized even in the midst of the mess. He's doing something. He's up to something. He's giving Jacob a family and he's beginning to fulfill his promise to bless the whole world through him and his descendants. This morning, I want to tell you that God is working out his promises and his plans for your life as well. Even in the midst of your mess. I'm pretty sure it ain't any worse than what we just read. In the midst of your mess, God is working out. If he promised it to you, you can trust that it will happen. Can you say that with me this morning? It will happen. One more time, like you mean it. It will happen. Yeah. God is still writing your story. He is not done with you yet. The beginnings of the promise are just around the corner. They're just around the corner. With every head bowed and all of your eyes closed this morning, I just, I want to give an opportunity to anyone who has not surrendered their life to Jesus. And and you want to do that today. And, and, I get it. I know that this message was not necessarily a salvation message, but we did see how an encounter with God completely changed Jacob's life. And I believe this morning that an encounter with Jesus can change your life today as well. So if there's anyone here today who has not declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to make that decision today, or, or maybe there's some of you that you did, you, you, you had Jesus was your Lord a long time ago, but you have walked away and you are not serving him right now. And you want to today make this decision that he is going to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Could you just raise your hands all over this place? Is there anyone in this room that would just say, today, I want to make, I see that hand. Thank you. I want to make that decision. I want to receive Christ. Thank you. I see that hand as well. Anyone else? Anyone else? Join these two. This morning, I want to pray a prayer with these two, and I would just ask that everyone would pray this prayer with us so that they're not singled out. And, and, you know, there's not magic in this prayer, but what this prayer is doing is it's basically making an outward declaration of what you've already done in your heart by by saying, I believe in Jesus, and I place my faith in him, and, and I want to serve him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. So can you just repeat this prayer with me this morning. Dear Jesus, thank you for pursuing me. Thank you that by dying on the cross for my sins, you did for me what I could never do for myself. Today, I place my faith in your grace for my salvation. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. Be the Lord of my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen.